1: presented by AT&T connecting changes everything
2: I'm Dessa the disembodied lady voice of deeply human why we do the things we do we're about to set off on an episode of déjà vu why do we get it and how could it help you better understand the workings of your own mind
1: I I don't remember the first time but I remember when they started happening really frequently I would be in math class or something, and um, suddenly everything would feel kind of off. Like, I don't know if you know this feeling in your gut that something's just wrong. I think I was probably 14, and I started getting them on maybe a daily basis by the time I was 16. A daily basis? Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Can you describe, like, if I met you at 14... What's your vibe? you know do you have like pink hair? do you have like thick glasses? What's the vibe?
1: Um, just picture Avril Levine. It's a little <laughs> bit cringy, but <laughs> like a bit of a skater girl, you know <laughs> so that means
2: like dark eyeliner did your mom want you wear eyeliner?
1: she did. yeah, straightened hair, dark eyeliner, band t-shirt I start to feel kind of fearful and have this sense of dread and I start to feel really sick to my stomach and it starts building like there's there's something that's going to take hold of me and um, I really don't want it to so I try to focus on what's going on around me but it starts invading my head more and more and then it I get to this point where it feels like everything that's currently happening has already happened. And then it sort of feels as though I can remember the history of the universe. Of course, I couldn't like give any details of what that even meant, but at the time, I'm like, fully convinced that that's what I'm feeling. I can remember everything that's ever happened and everything that will ever happen, and it's all tied together, and there's this like extreme sense of oneness with the universe, which is also quite sickening. <laughs> and then it's gone.
2: And if I'd been you know, sitting beside you in math class and I looked over at you during one of these experiences,
1: what would I see? Like, what was your body doing? What was your face doing? I mostly wouldn't show it. Sometimes I would, like, put my head in my hands and be like, oh, I feel sick. I'd say to my friends all the time, like, oh, I have deja vu. It's just the worst. And I thought, like, maybe I was just really poorly adjusted to it, and everyone else could handle this much better. Okay, so for years, Anna is suffering from these debilitating
2: episodes of déjà vu. And she assumes that's normal. Like, that's just what being a person feels like. Déjà vu is French for already seen. And most of us know it as the eerie feeling that you've lived this very moment already. But usually, it isn't so intense that it jettisons you to the edge of time and space. If you're like me, the standard response to déjà vu is to start tugging on your friend's sleeve to announce, "I have déjà vu!" "Hey, I need everyone here to acknowledge that I am déjà vuing right now." But it's a solitary experience. You can't share it. You can't even articulate the moment without sounding like a palm reader in a panic attack. I knew you were going to say that. Déjà vu doesn't happen too often, which I think is why I sort of like it. It's an exotic condition of mind like getting an egg with two yolks or something. It's also one of the few occasions where you're acutely aware of your own perception at work. It's like getting to taste your own tongue, or that bit that David Foster Wallace does about the fishes, where the old fish asks the young fish, how's the water? And the young fish says, what the hell is water? Are there any dumb jokes that you have to endure, like, as soon as you tell someone you're a deja vu researcher? Is everyone like, I've heard that before. All the time. That's Anne Cleary. She's a professor of cognitive psychology, or COGSCI if you are both a snowboarder and a Ph.D. student. Years ago, Anne and her colleagues designed a
3: series of ambitious experiments. We were attempting to induce deja vu through virtual reality. How do you even start to do that? I would spend hours and hours playing The Sims, basically, at my house, on a laptop, in the lab. I'd close my eyes to go to sleep, and I'd be dreaming about moving objects around within The Sims to create environments. Because be So spending-
2: Anne is building an experimental laboratory inside the game The Sims.
3: When you create the characters and design
2: the surroundings, anything's a possibility. Got it. That Sims, that weirdly successful video game where you pretend to be a person in a universe that's just like ours.
3: You can actually create entire neighborhoods. She builds an aquarium.
2: She builds a museum. She builds courtyards and residential structures. She's on a construction spree. And although these spaces look different... Some of them are built on identical floor plans with major features in exactly the same places, like a desk is in exactly the same position as a bed is in another scene, let's say. Anne sends a bunch of people into this virtual neighborhood. She hands them a pair of goggles, revs up the Sims, and now her research subjects can look all around the universe she's built just by turning their heads. She hypothesized that visiting places that looked really different but had identical floor plans, might induce deja vu by triggering what's called a memory retrieval failure. A memory retrieval failure is exactly what it sounds like. You've got a bit of info and in storage, but you can't fish it out for reference. It's like the search function in my email. Sometimes it just can't find minutes from Tuesday's meeting, even though they're in an email titled Minutes from Tuesday's Meeting. So let's say you're all goggled up in Anne's virtual world. If you visit the bowling alley, you might get the sense... Oh, this feels familiar. But your recall might not pull up the fact that uh, this bowling alley is laid out just like the museum. So you've got this inexplicable sense of having been here before. And bang. Deja vu. Anne calls this digital universe, wait for it, Deja-ville. This stuff about memory retrieval failure is bigger than just deja vu. Sometimes it happens in a really common
3: phenomenon called the it's the um, it's a feeling of being right on the verge of accessing a word from memory. You feel pretty confident that it's there and it's it's right about to come to mind, but it's not quite there yet.
2: The tip of the tongue thing. Thank you, Anne. Thank you. And this is crazy when you think about it. Like there's a memory I can't access, but I know exactly where it is. It's always almost here. Anne's work is based on this fallibility of recall, the fact that our memories don't always come when called. But there are other ways to understand déjà vu, and for all the time that Anne spends trying to induce it, some people are desperately looking for help to get out of it.
4: I started my déjà vu research while I was in a memory clinic, and this man came in to have his memory tested, and he had a very unusual complaint because he said that he'd already been tested before which was pretty strange because most people, if they've been to a memory clinic before, they've tended to forget about it, but he was complaining that he'd already done it before.
2: That's Chris Moulin. He's a researcher and a cognitive neuropsychologist, which means he studies the structures of the brain to better understand how we think. He's talking here about one of his seminal patients, AKP.
4: Taking a walk in the street, he would see the same bird singing the same song in the same tree every day and he stopped watching the television because he said he'd seen it before. He stopped reading the newspaper because he'd already read it all. His wife was saying that, yeah, this is typical of him. He does this all the time. Chris's
2: work with AKP led him to other patients with similar symptoms.
4: We presented in the scientific literature a young man who had a history of anxiety, some substance use, and he was stuck in what he described as like a Donnie Darko time loop. He was acutely aware and he said he had to like really spend a long time reasoning with himself that life wasn't repeating and that he wasn't going mad. I remember driving four hours to meet with a patient. I just had some emails with her daughter, we'd not met before and I turn up and she opens the door and she greets me like she She knows me.
2: Chris understands déjà vu to be caused by a glitch in the memory system, where the feeling of recalling a memory becomes disassociated from the act of actually doing it. According to Chris, we can have the strong sensation of remembering something, even when there's no memory there. Like pushing a needle through fabric feels like sewing, even if I've got no thread The glitch account of Deja Vu is very different from the idea behind Anne's Deja Vu, where we've got a memory we just can't retrieve. But I'm going to tell you right now, this is not a show where we pit two Deja Vu scientists against each other to fight to the death like postdoc gladiators in the Coliseum of my podcast. Let's keep it, let's keep it classy. For the record, Anne thinks that some Deja Vu might be caused by glitches too. Okay. A lot of the memory patients that Chris sees are older, some suffering from dementia. Brain scans have revealed some subtle atrophy in particular regions of their brains, in the frontal lobes and the temporal lobes at the side of the skull. So just to get like the, the anatomy right, you know. so if I'm sitting right now with my, my index finger against the spot on my skull that's right above my right ear, how deep would I sink that finger until I hit the region that we're talking about? Like first knuckle, second knuckle?
4: Okay, so it would be your second knuckle. The memory center is tucked into the very middle, so you're almost going right into the center of the space between your ears.
2: But it's not like there's a discrete little memory cottage in your brain, apart from all the rest. There's a complex set of interlocking parts And understanding healthy memory function could allow Chris and his colleagues to better serve people who come looking for help, who are really suffering. Chris thinks déjà vu might provide real insight into just how the system works in normal
4: circumstances, during, like, regular vu. Déjà vu is just another one of the kind of quirks of memory that helps us understand what the memory system is. Not only is there kind of memory performance, memory function, but there is also the relationship we have with our memory, the beliefs about memory, the feelings about memory. They're relatively automatic and they don't usually go wrong. But when they go wrong, they are, they are strange, striking experiences. And the people who contact me are often in, in great distress.
1: My second year in college was the first time I fully lost consciousness, and it happened like maybe two or three times during college. Um, and I mean, one time was really scary because I would twisted my ankle while walking down one step, and the next thing I know, like, I wake up on the ground. One of my friends is standing over me, completely panicked. She said that my eyes rolled into the back of my head and I was shaking. It actually took until grad school for me to realize truly that these things weren't just how some people experience deja vu. I just remember talking to my boyfriend about it because I had just lost consciousness during class and it was very embarrassing. And I was saying, oh, yeah, I get that feeling, you know, with deja vu where you feel this like kind of oneness and it's really sickening and scary. And he was like, what?
2: (laughs) He's got to be like, I have no idea what you're talking about.
1: So um, maybe a couple hours later, I pull out my phone, and I'm like, there's no way I'm the only one who experiences this, you know. What did you Google? I put in, I think, like, nausea, deja vu, and fainting, clicked search, and it was like epilepsy, epilepsy, brain tumors, epilepsy, neurological disorders. (laughs) And I was like, oh, my God. I needed to get an MRI in case I had a brain tumor. I needed to get an EEG. So it went from, like, zero to 60
0: Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do, too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
1: For my EEG, I had to stay up all night. I guess your brain is more prone to seizures or whatever disorders are lurking there when you're low on sleep. I stayed up all night watching The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because I love that show. <laughs>
0: now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down and I'd
1: like to take a So I did one of those and they saw some weird stuff going on in my temporal lobe. Um, so when I finally went to see an actual neurologist and talked with her about it, she was like, yeah, this is definitely temporal lobe epilepsy. It, it was like, that's good. Uh, that's good to just know.
2: In temporal lobe epilepsy, déjà vu can actually be part of the seizure, sometimes called an aura. For some people, déjà vu can serve as a storm warning that things are about to get much, much worse. Of course, déjà vu isn't always linked to epilepsy, but for a lot of people, it is linked to feelings of precognition, the ability to predict the future.
3: We had hypothesized that maybe people can, and maybe there's a scientific explanation for why. Anne, seriously, what are you talking about? If you've been through a situation that's very much like the current situation, maybe you do know exactly how it's going to unfold because you've been through it before and you're just forgetting or you've been through something very similar. And so we had hypothesized that if we could somehow put people in the middle of a memory, so to speak. So
2: here Anne changes her protocol. This time, when you put on the goggles, instead of turning your head and looking around Deja vu. She's queued up several little videos, like virtual tours, that maneuver through the places she's built. Let's say you enter the bowling alley, and then you go left, and then you go right when you hit the first wall, then you go left, then you go right one more time. And subjects watch a bunch of these virtual tours through all sorts of different places, And some tours go through spaces with identical layouts, following exactly the same route, a fact that Anne hopes her subjects won't consciously realize, but that might trigger deja vu. This bowling alley is laid out just like the museum. And now here's the moment of truth, because Anne pauses one of these videos in the middle of the route, right before it's about to take a turn, and she asks her subjects if they're feeling deja vu at the moment, And if so, do they have that I-can-predict-the-future feeling? Do you feel like you
3: know the direction of the next turn?
2: And some people said, yes, I do have deja vu. Yes, I, I do feel like I know what's going to happen next. This tour is going left, man, left. Let's unpause the thing and
3: let's go left already. So when Anne unpaused it,
2: were they correct?
3: We were really bummed, actually. The first time we ran the experiment... We found no predictive ability at all. This
2: poses a new question. If people aren't actually able to foresee the future during deja vu, why do they have such a strong impression that they can? Well, during a deja vu episode in regular life, like the action doesn't stop to allow us to test our predictions. The tape just keeps running. So we're never confronted by any evidence to disprove that overwhelming feeling of, I knew that would happen. Anne thinks déjà vu doesn't allow us to make predictions. It's actually something called post-diction.
3: And it gives an illusion of having predicted after the fact.
2: Is there ever some tension, you know, when you're talking to somebody? There has to be. Who's like, yo, I am clairvoyant. Oh, yes. (laughs) And I have predicted the future. And I bet they're not going to drop that easily when you're like, oh, actually, it just feels like you can predict the
3: future. Like, that is not a satisfying response. No, people people hate it. Yeah. Um, I commonly hear from members of the public that I'm wrong, that deja vu is not a memory phenomenon. And when I started publishing work on deja vu being associated with illusory feelings of prediction, of course, people started to push back at that to say, no, when I feel like I can predict, I actually do predict. And it's not just a feeling. Still, Anne says it
2: is just a feeling. She's sure, because she tested for exactly that. But anyone who's had it knows how real déjà vu can feel. It descends like like a little private tornado to lift you out of your everyday perceived continuum of time and space. Do you ever get, like, the pedestrian, run-of-the-mill version of déjà vu?
1: I don't think I'd recognize it. Like, I think I would just dismiss it as so ordinary that I wouldn't even... Think twice about, oh, this is real deja vu.
2: Do you think that, you know, this history of having profound and unpleasant deja vu experiences shaped your personality
1: in any way? A little bit. Um, I got really into philosophy when I was a teenager, and I think that was pretty much mostly due to these seizures that I had. I remember reading different philosophers who talked about everyone experiences the world very differently. And that rang true to me because I was like, I think the way that other people experience, like, deja vu is very different from me.
2: The idea that people experience consciousness differently, I think that fascinates a lot of us. Like, if I could test drive someone else's mind, trade consciousnesses for a day, would it feel disorienting, like driving on the left? Or would it feel like trying to drive a baked potato or trying to drive yellow? Like, could I even recognize it as a mind and find all the pedals to make it go? Oh, yeah. Can I ask, like, what do you, what do, you do for a living now?
1: Oh, um, I'm a PhD student of astrophysics.
2: Okay. Dang, dude. Do you think that your experiences of déjà vu might feel like the experiences of astronauts, when they look at the world through the window and it just conceptualizes how how small a place in the universe that they occupy.
1: Yeah, that's a really great way of thinking of it. I mean, with astrophysics, it's sort of like we are looking at the universe without us. It's like seeing something outside of, of how you normally experience it, very far away.
2: If you could rewrite your life, would you write these déjà vu experiences out of it?
1: No, I don't think so. These episodes felt like they cut to the heart of existence. A lot of how I understand the world comes from like the way that I sort of experience time in these seizures. You're, you're seeing the passage of time.
2: We don't get to experience time directly, don't have a dedicated sense organ for it. And I think that's why even the occasional deja vu is sort of thrilling, because it brings our sensation of time to the fore. We get a moment where we can really feel it moving around us. Usually, time is just the invisible substrate that we maneuver through. We're like the fish asking, what's water? But of course, I can see what's in the bowl that holds the goldfish. Maybe Anna can see the bowl full of time that's holding me. And that's Deeply Human on Deja Vu, a sensation we can experience in grade school but takes a doctorate degree to begin to explain. Our next stop on Deeply Human is a terminal. The topic is death, and why it's time to talk about yours.
0: There's been lots of conversations around this idea of a good death. I've never been big on that terminology, because then it suggests there's a bad death. Once you start to create expectations around dying, people can start to feel like they're doing it wrong. And that's always been one of my big concerns with a lot of the discussions around death and dying in in a... All different kinds of facets of society, which have been going on now for like, you know, the last 20 years. It's never not been a hot topic, as it were. But I think that what happens is families, and usually families more than the dying, but sometimes the dying, they can feel like they're doing it wrong.
2: Deeply Human is a co-production of the BBC World Service and American Public Media with iHeartMedia. And it's spoken into a microphone by me, Dessa. See you next question.